You're listening to the Scottish Football Forums podcast, the home of Scottish football banter. Hi, welcome to the Scottish Football Forums podcast, season 9, episode 56. Hey, I'm John, I'm back after Missing Thursday, and joined by John. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, John. Um, missed you on Thursday. It was good, banter. Yeah, I listened back. It was good, yeah. Um, so, tonight we've got a guest on that swears more than me. Um, I'm usually <laughs> F-bomb John, but we've got someone that swears yeah, far more than me. Uh, so we've got it's Aberdeen Rangers and Leeds player, and current Real Cashmere manager David Robertson on. How are you doing, David? I'm good, yeah, very good, yeah. yeah. I don't know about the swearing, you told me swear more than me. I just have nobody on the TV for folk to hear me. How <laughs> 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 are you getting on, Eddie? Yeah, good, yeah. Just, uh, I'm obviously like everybody else in the world, but at least we're back in, in Aberdeen at home, family, so it's, it's so we're quite happy. I mean, I'm enjoying it as much as you can. Um, I haven't got the inclination or the itching to get outside yet. Um, so just happy to be, be at home and being safe. It took you a bit of time to get back as well, didn't, didn't it? Because I understand there was problems getting a flight home. Yeah, well, we we were meant to play one game. We were playing trial, and the, the last minute we didn't play it, and we we're going to play it, and we we're going to have a, it was going to be the last game before all the games got cancelled because of the COVID nineteen. But the the problem was um, people were against it. So they got cancelled the day of the game, basically an hour before the game. Um, and then from that day, we were locked in the hotel, the owner's hotel, Cindy, for 49 days. And um, we couldn't get flights to close the airports. Um, obviously, international flights, but even domestic flights are cancelled in India. Um, so we were struggling a little bit. We contacted the embassy and my local MP, Stephen Flynn. So they all helped a bit. But the one thing was tough was the... The fact that we didn't know, we knew that at some point we'd get a flight, but um, we just didn't know when. And it took a, it took a, a long time to get, but it was all done. And then we went on the, embarked on the, the worst journey in the world. We, we left Senegal and we travelled, it was 13 hours to Amritsar, and basically on a cliff edge. And there's two cars, well, we were in a minivan of six of us, two, two, um, two lane road, but you can only get one, and it's a sheer. You know, drop it one side. There's no barriers. There's nothing in this stuff. It's people die there. You know, quite regularly. The rocks come down, hit them, and fall down the thing. But at the same time, the nomads are rehoming re- their the animals. So there's goats and sheep and cows coming the opposite way. So it's quite. It's not even a road. It's like a farm track road. So it's it's, um, it's as I say, it's a worse journey. Then once we got that, we. We ended up having a 10-hour flight from Amritsar. We had to go through borders with paperwork, and there was a chance that if things didn't go well at the borders, we'd get quarantined for 14 days, but that, lucky enough that didn't happen. 10-hour flight to uh, uh, Heathrow, and then we got a taxi from Heathrow to Aberdeen. So it took three days to get home, so it's, it's probably the worst journey that I have ever encountered, and certainly one that I hope will never be repeated. That must have been a hefty taxi bill going from London to Aberdeen. It was about a thousand quid, yeah. Yeah. But we thought it's safer than because we arrived 
I think it was eight o'clock on, on the night night time, but the next flight to Aberdeen wasn't until eight o'clock in the morning. So we thought it's safer just to go straight up the road as opposed to, you know, checking into a hotel, coming back through the airport again and there was more chance of catching the virus that way. So we thought it's safer just to go. Plus we were home early as well. It was ten hours in the car, but um, worth it in the end. Was it you and Mason or did you have um or was Kim out at that point? I'm sure. No, Kim was there, so Kim actually arrived. I think it was, so she wasn't too pleased with me. She arrived um, a week after the, or a week before the um, lockdown. Um, so she wasn't too happy. We were stuck in a hotel. We couldn't even go out. Um, weren't allowed past the gates. No one's allowed in. So there was six foreign players there. There was obviously myself, Jonathan and Jimmy, with two Scottish coaches, and myself. My wife, Kim, and then we had uh, Mason, Callum, Higginbottom was there. And then we also had what, four Africans, two from Ivory Coast, one from Nigeria and one from Zambia, and believe it or not, they're still there. So they can't get out, so they're still there. So, And I know two of them have, have missed their daughter's birthday, so it's been tough for everyone. You know, I think we've, we've actually been, you know, as much as we felt sorry for ourselves, we've probably been the luckier ones. Ah, because we've seen from the documentary as well over there, there can be limited internet access, so that must be tough if they can't keep in touch with families, or has that been... Been okay yeah, recently, you know. It was weird this time. I mean, it, it was we are used to lockdowns and shutdowns. Um, you know, for some political issue, some unrest, maybe a shooting, killing, and what have you. What happens is, is that the internet goes down. But during that time, we can still train. We might be able to train at six in the morning. But during this pandemic, there's been limited internet. Um, there's certain parts of the hotel you go to get better internet. But the problem is, there's no. There's no, um, there's no football on, there's nothing on TV. Um, so it's a different type of boredom. But, yes. um, but we're, used, we're used to it. It's just a, it's a different kind of thing. But, you know, it's, I think being at the Al Kashmir, nothing really faces you. You know, you've just got to go on with it. And, and I know everybody around the world um, find a real tough time at the moment with the pandemic, dealing with it, not being able to go out. And, but, you know, quite regularly that happens to, to us in Kashmir. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, you've also been there a um, couple of years and witnessed all sorts of um, issues, like games getting cancelled because um, of um, political turmoil. Um, so when you compare that, this must be almost like a walk in the park. Well, no, it's a lot easier. I remember the one you're talking about last year. Um, on, on the first documentary, there was actually a game where we couldn't play the game, but there was actually a, actually a league game. So about 10 days before due to play Minerva Punjab in the league, in the I-League, um, at home there was a, a suicide bomber attack and um, 49 Indian soldiers were, were killed. So rumour had it that the owner of Minerva Punjab says we're not coming up for their own safety. But they never officially told us. So it was a bit like, the, I don't know if it's Estonia or San Marino, Scotland played that game. Yeah. We knew we weren't coming. And um, but we had to prepare as normal. We actually went on the pitch, did the warm up, lined up. Um, but India being a bizarre place, what happened was we um, the, the game was basically never never started. Um, and the day after, I think we were awarded three points. But the Minerva Punjab put in a court injunction, so it got revoked. And then once it was determined that we couldn't win the league and that game would have no bearing at all, they gave it a draw. So, so my problem was, my thing was, well, this season, you know, 
playing in our pitch, it's a tight pitch, there's a high altitude, it's astroturf. Um, it's not the easiest places to come in and out of airports. You know, a lot of teams would say, well, if we can get a draw there, um, we'll take it. So I, I'm surprised a lot of teams this season didn't just decide, well, we're not coming, it's not safe. And then they got a point for it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but you, your season was obviously suspended as well with, with your second place in the league. Yeah. Many to go. Uh, frustration there, obviously, as well. Yeah, well, well, the whole season was a bit frustrating because normally when I get there, you think it's going to be better. It was worse this article 370 came in and, and it was what well, was abolished, I should say. And then because of that and because of the winter, our league season was meant to start mid-October and it started the first week of December. So we actually yeah. had a longer pre-season than season and we actually played more pre-season games than league games. Um, and then, you know, we went on a good run more, you know, with a game in hand and I think if we if we won the game in hand and, you know, did okay in the last three or four games after that, we'd have qualified for the Asian Champions League. So um, what happened was the league just decided to... to stop it as it is um, Mohan Bagan won the league they already won the league so they gave it to them they decided no relegation and um, all the prize money was split between the other teams so and then they um, they, they decided because it was close for the Champions League spot just not to do it so we missed out on that which is a bit it's a bit disappointing because I think we could have you know we were coming into a good bit of form and we could have maybe ran out winning a lot of games and and qualify for the league, yeah, that Asian Championship, which should have been a, an amazing achievement for the club. What's the, um, the the current scenario with the with the club? Because I read at the end of the documentary that the, the club's potentially in doubt. I mean, what have you heard? Well, no, I think the club's okay. We're very fortunate that Sandeep, the owner, is um, a very good businessman. Um, he's he basically runs the owns the only alcohol shop in Kashmir. So um, we can obviously he's, uh, he does okay out of that. <laughs> uh, um, so, I mean, financially the club will be fine, you know, and Sandeep's a, a very wealthy owner and I've got a very good relationship with him. And we are carrying on as normal. The budget will be more or less the same, I think. Um, we've already started to sign players for next season. So I think what happens with documentaries, they always say that the club's in doubt um, because, you know, India can be a very unpredictable place most of the time, probably all the time when you know, there's not a lot of common sense. You know, something you think is an easy decision or um you know it, it turns out to be a complete disaster so the, the club's in club's in good shape and when i go back that will actually be the fourth season which you know it's, it's hard to believe and i'm actually the longest serving manager in indian football um, because most clubs go through two managers a year <laughs> you lose two games and you're gone so i'm in a pretty good um, situation there albeit it's in kashmir yeah, good situation for the club, um, maybe for yourself, but um, I don't know what your missus is thinking. Well, no, she's, she obviously <laughs> she was a bit pissed at the start when um, I decided to, to go. Um, she didn't think I would go and obviously I went and, you know, she was left in the USA packing up a... We'd actually just moved to Texas and then she had to move again. So I wasn't the most popular person. And so, which I think she, she knows now that um, she, she's accepted it. She's been over a few times, and I think she's actually quite pleased as to what we've achieved in a, in a short space of time. You know, the club had when I when I first went there in I think it was two, um, January 2017. There was the same pitch, and there was the same terracing and what have you, but there was no dressing rooms, there was no floodlights, 
the team the team didn't have any kit, no training kit. And um, so that's how they show up with Manchester United jackets on because it was cold, they bring their own ball. There was very limited amount of take like cones and there was no nets in the goals. Um, so I actually thought at that point, I said, well, what, what have I done coming here? And, but, but you roll on two, three years and we're in the top league in India. We are sponsored by Adidas, the only, um, only club in India that's sponsored by a, a, an Adidas or a Nike or whatever. Um, and then we've obviously, there have been documentaries made. There's a Bollywood movie coming. There might be a production in the UK, another production coming. So we're you know, well-known all over the world. And I think it's just a... It's, it's a, it's, the owner, the owner stopped calling it a fairy tale now because he says it's not a fairy tale because fairy tales end and this isn't going to end. Um, and he's a hungry person. He's, you know, I, I got on really well and, you know, I, I possibly could have moved to other places in Asia, but I, I just feel Sandeep is just a, a great guy to work with. And, and because I've been there basically from the start, we've, we've all taken it from basically nothing to, to something. So it'd be very difficult to, to move away and, um, you know, it's a it's a bit of an emotional attachment, really. And I think Kim understands that now. She's been two or three times. Um, although after the last time she was there, she, she might not be coming back. <laughs> In terms of the ownership, then does uh, Sandy there have a kind of different kind of relationship with yourself? As what you've experienced, maybe other clubs that you've worked under? Yeah, well, I think um, Sandeep when we when we first started, there was Shamim as well, the the other owner. Um, who's actually now just parted ways. He decided he's taking it as far as he can go. But I think with Sandeep, he's very, very passionate. He listens to what I'm saying. And and what I like about him is, is that when you talk to him, he'll say, can we do this? And he'll say yes, or he'll say no. You know, you don't have to, a lot of owners and chairmen, you've got to sort of put your point across. He's just He just knows straight away, yes, we can do it. No, we can't. And there's no, there's no falling out. There's no great area. Um, and, and he has supported me a lot. We had a, a bit of a bad spell. We lost probably our heaviest defeat. I think we lost 3-1 to Churchill Brothers this year, which is the, um, the biggest defeat we've got. And, and I felt really bad. And he was the one that lifted me. you know. So we lift each other at different points. But it's almost like a, it's a bit of a family. And it's a family atmosphere with the players and the, and the club. And, and, but he just looks after everybody. Like Just for example, the African players... Are still there, but all the other Indian clubs have basically kicked all their foreign players on the street because they won't pay for the accommodation, they stop getting paid, they don't get fed. But Sandeep, because we obviously live in his hotel, they're still they're there. I think they'll be there till the end of the month, um, and they get fed three meals a day. There's a gym there, they're looked after. There's cable TV, the phones are paid, everything. So he really looks after everybody, which is unusual in Indian football. How does your recruitment process work in terms of getting players to cast me a name? You've quite a few players, obviously, from all over, like Africa, as you mentioned, and then there's a few from the UK. So. Yeah, it's, it's, um, when, I, when I first went there, there was only, I, I took the team um, to Scotland um, two or three years, three years ago, and it was all Kashmiri players, and I think there's only one player, sorry, two players that's actually left in the squad from that. It's all been scrapped with the levels poor with two decent kind of players and then we went into the i league two and um, to try and you know win the league we did some tryouts you know we went to Kolkata, did tryouts and then you watch videos and you know agents will send you videos from like african players and what and africans find it easier to adapt to india because the living conditions are you know quite similar yeah i know europeans find it difficult 
Um, there's a lot of Spanish players there just now, and they're finding it a little bit difficult. But, you know, you've just got to trust your judgment as opposed to the, you know, the foreign players. Um, I, and I've been lucky so far. I've, I've got this guy, um, Crizzo, six foot seven striker from Ivory Coast. Um, but he actually plays like he's a, as if he's five foot ten. You know, none of these big guys are gangly, but he's he actually looks he's quite athletic. Um, and I've had Love Day, who's a captain, and he's been there since the start. He was a player that no one in India wanted him. Um, and then we're fortunate enough that the Kashmiri players, we've got two or three more Kashmiri players that are good, Danish, Farhan, um, Khalid. But in India, players tend to be smaller, you know, small and technical. But in Kashmir, because it's in the north of India, close to Afghanistan, and that, they're more big physical players. Um, so but we've got a little bit of an edge there. And then all we do is we just look at the teams we play against, who does well against us, who we like. And we've got all the we've got all the computer programs and stuff to to watch players. So, but so far, touch wood, we haven't signed any donkeys yet. <laughs> That's good. Well, <laughs> I hope that doesn't continue. Um, right. Obviously, one of the players that you brought was Mason. Um, no, how important a sign was that for you? Not just in terms of uh, what you could do in the pitch, but helping you adjust to life in India. Um, well, it really helped me because up until. Mason came over, the longest I'd been away is four months. And from start to finish, we're away for now eight to nine months. So that helps off the pitch. Even though he, you never see him, I don't see him a lot. He's with all the players. You know, they've all got that. They've got their own rooms, so they'll go into each other's rooms and play the PlayStation and what have you. But just knowing that you've got a family face there. My other two kids have come over um, periodically uh, during the time. But um, <clears throat> Mason was, was good because... And the main, the good thing was the two owners were desperate for Mason to come. Um, and because I was very apprehensive about taking him. I knew that he could do it, but I just felt, you know, until he's actually there, can he do it? Plus, if he, if, I'm, if he's my, obviously my son, um, it's going to be tough if I'm just playing him because he's my son. But he's actually a, he's a legendary. He's, he's the most famous person in Kashmir now. And it's actually quite funny because, um, Fazl, the cameraman for the documentary, this wasn't on the documentary, but he was telling me he was one day training, people come and watch his train, supporters and stuff. So um, this guy goes up to this little kid and he says, what team do you support? And he says, Real Kashmir. And he goes, oh, that's great. He says, you know who the coach is? And he goes, David Robertson. Yeah, you like him? Yeah, I really like him. And he says, why do you like him? He says, because he's Mason's dad. Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. And then he's, um, I, when, I, when I first went over, I, before Mason came, I was Robertson. They used to sing my name, now they sing Robertson for Mason, and I'm known as Uncle. <laughs> <laughs> oh, brilliant. Um, I can't remember what I was going to ask there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, do you see, I mean, I'll ask... Um, how differently do you treat him, um, you know, from the rest of the guys, knowing that he has a son? You know, do you treat him harder um, or? Um, no, it's actually been easy because when he first came, his first few games, he was brilliant. He scored and um, he's been a top goal scorer for the last well, like two seasons. He's been there and a lot of times he plays a centre-back. Uh, but I think he's there on merit. Everybody knows that he was actually vice-captain. Lovely was captain, he was vice-captain. But I think everybody, and because he's a good kid, he's not a, he's not arrogant or nothing. And, and you wouldn't, if, if you travel with a team or you see team, the team at training, you wouldn't know that he was lower father and son, which is good. Um, 
I coached him for, I think, five or six years in America when he was younger, at youth level. But uh, if it was my other son, Jordan, it would be a total disaster because he would be... So I used to coach my other son and he was horrendous to coach. He was... I would tell he was, he was always late for training. Uh, like Farhan? Around the park. Oh, he's just he's tremendous. Um, and then he would he would do things like... Because before training sessions, I'll tell him, this is what we're going to do and this is why we're doing it. And he would say, oh, Dad, that's rubbish. We don't want to do that. Um, so Jordan's a different kettle of fish, but I'm lucky that you know Mason's settled in really, really well. Yeah, good stuff. Um, the bit that I noticed the documentary with Jordan, um, probably one of the most unpleasant experiences you had going up that um, that mountain um, where you're struggling for oxygen. Was that one of yeah. the most moments of your life? Yeah, it's. I mean, I've I've had teams before, and when we would go in America, you go to Utah, and people say, "Oh, it's eight thousand feet above sea level," and you see players after sixty-seven minutes dying, and you think, "I, I, I just didn't understand it." But just walking up that road at 18,000 feet, it was, it was almost as if there was weights on your shoulders and every step, you, your legs were heavy, it was like slow motion. Even when you spoke, you felt it was like, you know, as if somebody put it in slow motion. And every step took so much out of it. Your chest was in pain, you had a sore head. And, but the amazing part was that obviously you get used to it because I'm, I'm really struggling walking up that hill. And here's these... 60-year-old women fixing the road with no oxygen, nothing. Um, and because from Greg, when we first went, Greg says, oh, well, we need to get some oxygen. I've been like, you don't need Oh, it's a load of bullshit, all that. And, and I'm glad we got it because it was horrendous. And even at the last few steps at the end, it was just impossible to get up the steps. It was like, it was like, I think it was 10 steps, but it was as if you were going to climb up Mount Everest. And it was just a, a disaster. It was horrible, horrible to be honest. So what would you say the ambitions are for Real Kashmir then? Well, I think the ambition, I think, next season, because Sandeep, um, one of the, the big clubs, Mohan Bagan, they've merged with ATK, so they're going to go to ISL. There's a, a franchise league um, that there's no promotion or relegation. It's two side, stand, uh, sorry, um, they're side-by-side leagues. Right. Um, ISL, that's where, um, who's just gone out there? Um, Owen Coyle, that's where Owen Coyle is. He's at uh, Chennai and... So he, he's there, we're in the I-League, which the I-League is the oldest league. But I think the ambition is that Sandeep wants to go to the ISL, um, but he just wants to make sure we do it at the right time because we're still quite a, a new club. There's still a lot of infrastructure still to be done. Um, but I think he's you know he's working through it. Um, and, and, and what I like about it, he, he doesn't panic, he just gets on with it. But he, a lot of teams in India are just quite happy being at the same level. He wants to go higher, he wants to... I mean, he, he actually gives us bonuses, um, league bonuses. You'll come in before the game and say, right, okay, it's 10,000 rupees, 30,000 rupees. 30,000 is about 350 pounds um, to win a, win a certain game. He even does it in pre-season friendlies. He'll give bonuses, incentives. He just really wants to look after it, and he wants to take the club as, as high as he can. And it's obviously quite an American sport as well in India, isn't it, in terms of trying to compete against cricket? Yeah, well, in Kashmir, um, football's more important, not more popular than cricket in Kashmir. Right. So, yeah, believe it or not, um, I know years and years ago there was a. We've actually got a. I don't know if you know this. We've actually got a stadium called Bakshi Stadium. That is our official home ground, but we've never played a game there because when we played I League Two, 
there was snow, you could, and it was a grass pitch, you couldn't play on it. And then various times in the winter time, the weather's not good, so we play at a place called TRC. But this Baxi Stadium, it actually looks like the, the stadium in Escape to Victory. It's almost like falling down and what have you. So they used to play games for a you get about 30, 40, even just local teams. So it's a very popular sport there. Um, and, and it's sad because there's only been two players up until Real Kashmir that's actually gone from Kashmir to play high levels in India. Um, but now with the, the success of Real Kashmir, that's changed a little bit. And, you know, we've, we've had a lot of players move to the ISL and get attached from other, other countries. You know? Yeah, no, that's good. Uh, I'm going to take you back maybe just uh, a few years back yeah. to your, your early days of getting into football. So what was your situation kind of growing up in terms of getting into football? How did it come about? Um, well, I was... I, I, I had no real interest in football, to be honest, up until the age of eight. And it coincided. When my dad used to always want me to play football, like every father in, in the UK, they all either play football, watch football, got an interest in football, want their son to play football or their daughter to play football. Um, and it wasn't until Aberdeen won the, the League Cup in 1976 to beat Celtic 2-1 when uh, David Robb scored the winner. We Obviously, my dad was a season ticket holder. And he, he tried to get me to go to games. I wasn't really interested. But they bought me all the scarves and the tops and everything to do the, to watch the team go down the Union Street and open top bus. We were, in those days, you actually the supporters followed them and went in, inside the stadium at Pitodri. And after that, I was just hooked on, on football. And I remember that they did a souvenir programme and it was at Fine Fair at Bridge of D. Obviously, it was Asda now. And my mum used to work there. So I, I went along and, and I got Willie Miller, Jockey Scott, Joe Harper to sign this book. I still got it today. And, and after that, for some reason, I was just hooked on, on football. I would be in the back garden playing all the time. I actually tried out for the primary school in Scarth and I didn't make it. I didn't get in the team. So um, I, it's, it's quite a funny story because the next, I think the, the first game we're going to play, one of, the, one of the kids couldn't make it. They must have been ill or, or something. So I got a, not a call, but I just got told on the notice board or something that I could report to, to the game on the Saturday morning. I was a sub. I came on as a sub and I actually got subbed off. It was that bad. That's, that <laughs> <laughs> so you obviously end up going on to on Aberdeen and got a question from uh, Willie Garner. Um, yeah. The former assistant, Aberdeen. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, he says, um, "How did they feel? Um, how did you feel and learn from your first taste of the third year at half time in the BP Cup win over Celtic?" Yeah, that was incredible. That that I mean, I think for me, that really showed me—not showed me, but obviously the the, the manner, not the mannerisms of Fergie, but his will to win. Um, you know, and I don't know if you know the background to the game. Aberdeen first team had actually won the. I think the league at Tynecastle, I think Stuart McKinney scored a winner. Yeah. Um, so on the Tuesday night, we were playing Celtic at Pitodri. I think it might have been about 12,000. And then we presented the trophy before the the game, the, the, the cup final. So there was a lot of players. And I remember Willie said, you know, the first team are here. And Fergie, the, the gaffer's going to be here, blah, blah, blah. Big chance for you. And I think we came in at half time, 2 nothing or 3 nothing down. I can't remember what the score was at half time. And I remember Willie comes in and he's trying to do the wee... Um, you know, the sort of motivation kind of talk and what have you. And then, and then the doors burst open, Fergie comes in and 
He goes around every single person. And it probably lasted about 30 seconds. And bear in mind, I think I was in 1980. I must have been about 14 or 15 at that point. There's a lot of young kids there. And he never missed anybody. He crucified anybody. He got the hairdryer, <laughs> everything. And, and it was like a whirlwind. And before you knew it, he'd gone. And I remember everybody was just dazed, thinking, what just happened there? Because, no, I mean, maybe, I, I'm not sure if, maybe Stevie Gray, Stevie Gray played Paul. Like he, they, probably, they were involved in the first team. They were probably used to it, but myself, Robert McGraw, um, Stevie Beckett, Robert Green, we'd probably never ever seen it. We'd never seen it before. And you were out there in the second half and we won 5-3 after extra time. You know, and, and I think, I do feel if he hadn't come in, we would never have. And, and that's, that's what I took throughout my whole career is, you know, in the clubs I've been at, that even if you're losing or whatever, you've still got the belief and the desire that you can go and win. Um, you know, that's like a no fear kind of thing. And he was just, um, you know, I mean, it's no secret that he used to travel all over Scotland. And obviously, Willie went with him, or Archie Knox went with him, all over Scotland to, to watch games. Um, you know, you go and watch, go to Fort William, you go to Brora, you go to Huntley, you go and watch an amateur game. And I remember growing up, I was I played in um, for play for D side and Mark Ferguson, Alec Ferguson's son played there as well. And he, he would he he actually knew every kid's names in you know youth football in, in Aberdeen. That's just how much in depth and how motivated he was. And you know he never in every bit of detail he had. Them. And it's no secret that he was how successful he was. So how did signing for sorry? There you go first. Uh, how did signing for Aberdeen then come about initially? Um, well, it was actually, we, there was none of this, like now it is now under 8s, under 10s, under 12s. I think it was just boys club and primary school football. So in Aberdeen, there's a primary school select and I, I was in it, Andy Smith was in it as well. And we, you know, when, once you finish primary school, you play the tournament or whatever, the Scottish Cup. And you go to secondary school on a Monday night. You train at the car park at Petodre, Um and you play. You play like what do you call it? Um, you play Keith Juniors, Huntley Juniors. And bear in mind, we are first year in, in secondary school, um, and it's just a, it's a weird it's a weird thing because it really made you grow up. And then what happened was, um, I remember my dad was standing watching training Fergie. Fergie was always there. Lenny Taylor, Bobby Clark, George Adams. Willie Garner would have been there, Archie Knox, whoever was there at the time, Jockey Scott. Um, they would watch. It was amazing how much interest they took in the, in the younger kids. And I remember my dad hearing um, Fergie talk to Lenny Taylor. He says, I oh, don't no, like that guy, blah, blah, blah. And my dad never told me until after we got a phone call from Lenny Taylor saying that we want to sign S-Forms for Aberdeen. And he said, I had a funny feeling it was going to happen because Fergie was talking about me at this, um, um, late, last week on Monday night, and in the car park at uh, Petodre. So, um, obviously being a local boy supporting Aberdeen as a kid, you're delighted to, to play, sign for your local club. I remember um, um, Jack Buchanan, Manchester United scout, came to the door about a week before that. Um, and in those days, I, I think you could sign S-forms at 13 for in Scotland, but the associate forms, school by forms, had to be 14 in England. So Manchester United wanted me to go down and train. Um, but then as soon as Aberdeen came in, it was a no-brainer really for me. Brilliant. John, what, you gonna, what was your question? you remember your question? Um, I was just going to come on to the, um, 
No, when you made made your breakthrough um, in the 86-87 season, if I, that was what I was going to ask. Um, the the third year after the halftime, the BT Cup game, BP Cup game, should I say, is that the worst um, Ferguson hair dry treatment you've been you've had, or did you get more of it as you? Well, no, that was quite a bad one. I remember the one. This is um, the season that I made my first team debut when I was seventeen. The pre-season, I actually played against Dunfermline East End Park in a in a friendly game, and the whole night was a, a complete disaster for me. So, so what Fergie does is you'll, you'll, go, you'll drive down the bus and you'll take about 18 players. Those days, there's only two or three subs. And um, you do your pre-match meal and he wouldn't tell you the team. So you're young kids and you think, there's no way I'm even, I'm, I'm just down here for the, you know, to kind of a hampers in the stadium and, and what have you. So we get there and I'm starting. So I'm 17 year old starting. And, but he's good at doing that. He doesn't tell you because he doesn't give you any time to think. You know, if I got told the day before you're going to play for Aberdeen, you'd be panicking the whole night and you'd be completely dead by the time the game came. So he didn't give you any time to think. So we go and play the game, and, and that, just before half-time, I go up for a head on. If you remember John Watson, the big guy with the, the big red mm, hair? Yeah, yeah. I goes up, and he just elbows me in the face and knocks out the two front teeth, and I've got blood everywhere. Um, and I'm obviously feeling sorry for myself. So... Obviously, John Watson comes over and he says, welcome to the big league, son. Um, <laughs> so there's a bit of a rude awakening from, from big John Watson. But I remember going at halftime and I'm actually going in there and I'm thinking, oh, 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 I feel sorry for myself. Oh, I've got no teeth and oh, blood pouring out. Expecting to get taken off because I wanted to come off. Fergie came over and I go at me. Are you a man? You're a mouse. And then I had a go at me. And I played the rest of the game. Um, and then that night, by the time we got back, my sister, um, we were sharing my mum's car at the time. It was like a little mini. So she left it at Petaudry and I was going to get the car once the bus came back. Right? But I couldn't find the car. So we got out and um, I walk into Petaudry and also there's no mobile phones. So in the snooker room in the multi-gym, there's a payphone. So I couldn't find the car. I go back in. All the hampers are in. And I'm putting the money in to talk to my sister about where, where there's a car. And then I hear all these gates closing. So I, I run up the corridor to the, the, the main door and Davy Wiley's actually closing the, the metal shutters, padlocking it, and I'm smashing the window. I'm, I'm going, oh, 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 oh. <laughs> I didn't fancy being stuck in Petaudry that night with no teeth and all sorts. Um, and then eventually I, sm- I, I knocked it so hard I smashed the window and obviously Davy got me in. And, and obviously it was a, the butt of a few jokes the next morning coming in that I had a cut hand because I smashed the glass. Um, and obviously, two front teeth out. Um, but it was, again, I think you find a lot with Fergie that he really makes you, okay, he makes you a football player, but he makes you a man as well. And, and I think coming from Aberdeen, you know, Aberdeen in those days, and I know I certainly was, I was a shy kind of guy and uh, very introverted and I, I was, you know, in awe of William Miller, Alan McLeish, McKimmies, all these guys. So I didn't really talk much for the, the five years I was at Aberdeen. But I think Fergie taught you, the, you know, how to stand up for yourself in a different way. Who were the guys then in the seniors that looked after you then well when you kind of first came into the first team? Um, well, Alan McLeish was great. He's always been fantastic. Um, you know, and he's he's one of the players that, or the men in football, should you say, that will never forget anybody that he's came into contact with. He'll, he'll give you five minutes of time. You'll email him. He'll always respond to you. And he was very, very good. You know, he was 
you know, I was I was lucky in the fact when I, in the first game I played, Jim Layton was in goal, McKimmy was right back. Um, there was Willie Miller, Alan McLeish, Jim Bett, Neil Simpson, Peter Weir. You know, I was fortunate enough to play with Peter Weir. Billy Stark was there, John Hewitt. So I was I was lucky with the teams, but Alec was the, the best one. And even Tommy McQueen, who actually took his spot, he was very good, giving me encouragement. But I think Peter Weir for me was the the one because he played in front of me. He was the one that actually started me to overlap, and because he would encourage me to get forward and. And even at that age, he was knocking on a little bit in years, but, uh, you know, a fantastic player, but he really helped me a lot. But in the dressing room, Big Alec really was the one that's uh, at times put the arm around you. Willie was a grumpy one that used to slaughter you for every mistake. And, um, <laughs> in partnership, right enough, as you can imagine, grumpy Willie. Uh, you know, and at the time, I thought he was giving me a hard time. And, but, you know, you learn a lot, you know, just the different characters. Because I've came a, I played alongside, you know, many Willie Millers in the thing. It must have been something that I was 17 years old. Might make over about 30 appearances a first season? I, th- I think, I'm not sure it was 44, if you, I think, if you include all the cups. But I remember that the f- first game was, my life changed the first time I played for Aberdeen's first team. Um, because across the road from Aberdeen, there's the Bonacore Golf Club. Yeah. And the show was, I would go there with my dad before the games. And I would walk over to Petaudry. And I might be in the squad that, you know, you've got no chance of being in it. This particular time, and bear in mind, I was 17, and I wasn't allowed in the bar, in the main bit, in the, the golf club. So, because I was under 18, I had to go to the locker room with all the little kids. My dad would come with a bag of crisps and a coat for me. <laughs> and um, I'd, I remember that this day, he, he walks, well, so I've got there a bit early for the meeting. Um, but my dad stays there, has a couple of beers, walks to the game. And again, there's no mobile phones. So, I'm, all of a sudden, I'm in the dressing room thinking, all right, I'm going to I'm have a pie. I'm going upstairs, I'm going to buy a pie here and I'm and Fergie names the team on my sub. And um, so obviously my dad's thinking, oh, here's, my, here's his son, after 20 minutes to go or something, here's, here's, here's my son coming on. So after the game, because I didn't have a car, I'd, I'd get showered and I'd walk back across the Bonacore Golf Club and I'd go in the back door to go in the locker room. But I was taken straight into the bar. Somebody bought me a pint and I was signing autographs. And I was still saying, about three hours before, I wasn't allowed in the bar. Uh, a good form of ID, getting your first team start for Aberdeen, that's your ID. <laughs> yeah, no, it's funny, you used, you used to go to like, nightclubs and bars and that, and you know, it's under 18, or some of them were under 21, and I'm in there at 17. You know, it's just funny. <laughs> good times. Um, so, obviously Ferguson left um, midway through that your first season, or nearly midway through the first season. Um, Ian Porterfield comes in. What kind of character was uh, was he? Because he wasn't um, well received, um, from what I remember. No, I think well, you can see Manchester United. I mean, they still have never recovered from Fergie retiring, and, and Aberdeen was the same. You know, whoever came in was going to find it very, very difficult because of the standards he set. But I think for Porterfield, he didn't really know the Scottish game. You know, I remember a couple of times, uh, he was always very good to me a couple of times. He, you know, we'd draw enough Nietzsche against St Mirren and no disrespect to St Mirren. In those days, Aberdeen should be beating them. You know, we still had Jim Layton's, McLeish Millers, you know, guys that have played at a real successful time in, um, in Aberdeen's history. And he'd come in and say, well, that's a point more at three o'clock. Or, um, you know, I think it's different in England. The clubs he's been at, it's about picking points up. But Aberdeen have to win games. Um, and I think, as you say, he wasn't well received. He wasn't well 
um, taken by the supporters. But I don't think anyone would. Um, but you know, he was he was good. I remember one time we go on a, a pre-season tour and we go to Torquay, and it's like we don't even train; we just drink. Um, and and Porterfield and Jimmy Muller never think of it, you know. And, and it got to the point where the players were actually trying to go to their bed, and, to, and the manager and the, and the assistant trying to keep you up. Um, so we actually try to go to bed. Um, but I just think he he was a very, he was a very nice man, good, very generous, and you know looked after his players. But I think he wanted to be everybody's friend. Um, but I think you know I. I as I say, I don't think it mattered who came in after Fergie. It would be a, a hard shift. Yeah, it wasn't long too too long after um, when Porterfield did unfortunately for him move on, and Alex Smith comes in with Jockey Scott. Um, just um, they were certainly guys that were encouraging for um, young players, and they must have been really good for you at that point. Yeah, I think Wally, um, not Wally, um, Alex Smith was good. I'd been involved with him at the Scottish youth teams. Um, and, and obviously he, he was good at promoting, you know, youth players. He, he, you know, he took a big gamble putting Ian Jess in in, a, in the league, his league cup final, um, which is a, a huge gamble for any manager to do. He believed in the youth and he was very good with the youths. And I think Jockey was the one that he was like this a bad cop kind of thing, you know, the the good cop bad cop. And I think he um, he was he was the one that was hard and he was the ones that could. You know, give the Jim Betts and Willie Millers a bit of a hard time if need be. Alex Smith would never do that. But you've got to remember, you know, Jockey was a senior player when Willie Miller was playing. So, you know, it, it was a good relationship. And, you know, it's 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 weird, I think, since this is just my observation in, in, in Aberdeen, is that, you know, Fergie was exceptional. So, Portfield did a, a hard act to follow. Alex Smith and Jockey Scott were very successful. Um, but they didn't last long. You know, for some of this, because the expectations were so high, and then the same happened with um, Willie Miller. You know, Willie. I remember one year when I was at Rangers, we won the treble, and I think any other year Aberdeen could have won the treble yeah. that year. But I think yeah. the points they got in the league was probably enough in certain years to win the league. So um, I, I think the board were a little bit harsh with you know that that the Alex Smith and Jockey Scott. I think. Yeah. Sure, fault because you left, but we'll come back to that. Um, <laughs> 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 um, but you did, I mean, it was successful for the most you mentioned. 89 uh, 90, uh, the, the mm. Cup double, um, a really successful season. Um, the, the League Cup in particular was um, a, a relief because two previous cracking finals were Rangers. Yeah. We, we lost in penalties and then lost in by their goal. Then to win that win, that must have been special winning your first trophy, but also kind of a bit of relief that. You broke that duck against them? Yeah, well, the, the, the two previous finals were a bit of a, a nightmare. I broke my foot for the first one, the penalty shootout. I broke my foot in the semi-final against, I think it was Dundee at Dens, but uh, Tannadice, and so I couldn't play in the final. And, you know, Ian Portfield gave me his medal, which was, you know, because I played every round, it was very nice of him to do that. And then we played, uh, obviously, Rangers again. I think we lost 3-2, and mm-hmm. uh, I, had, I had an absolute nightmare that game. I had a horrendous game, and and it was my first cup final. Maybe the nerves got the better of me. I don't know. And I found it. Um, it was the most, probably the most disappointing game in my whole career. You know, first cup final was a disaster. But we won the the, the third time. Third time of asking, we beat um, Rangers two one, and you know Paul Mason got a couple of goals. Um, but I think we had we had a very good team at that point. You know, it was, it was on the verge of you know turning again. <clears throat> you know, to win a cup double is pretty special. And, and I think with Willie and Alec. 
we still had the belief that we could go to you know Parkhead and Ibrox and win games. Um, and I think you know when Alec and Willie left, that's a wet left with them. Um, that the confidence to go to Glasgow and win games. So it, I mean, it was fantastic. And then you know I was fortunate enough then to do the open top bus, which is um, you know something that you know obviously the other clubs have been at. You know obviously particularly Rangers, you can't do that. And, and, and I remember going down Union Street thinking as a kid, when I, I began to get interested in football, I was um, standing there and you saw the thousands of people and um, just it was a great, great feeling. Superb. When the Scottish Cup that year, um, we've not won it since. Um, and you, you mentioned that you were a bit nervous taking that penalty, one that you probably weren't expecting to, um, but you managed to tuck it away and... We end up winning at nine eight. Yes, I mean, I mean, obviously, I don't. I, I think the last time I took a, a penalty kick was at school or something. Um, and you know, when you think the name, the five, you know, the, the Jim Betts, uh, Charlie Nicholas, Paul Mason, do you think to yourself, I'm never. And Mike Gallery actually gave me a, a dead leg just before the end of normal time. So I, I completely seized up. <clears throat> but then the penalties kept going. It's going to sudden death, and I'm looking along and I'm thinking. Oh, you know, and then I see Graham Watts in there and I think, oh, no, I need to grow a set of balls here. I can't have him taking it. And I remember I walk up and, and the commentator, see, and a lot of people have said to me, oh, that was a real cool penalty kick because I took two steps. And it was, a, it was a fact that I couldn't run because my leg had seized up. <laughs> and um, I actually tried uh, a plate to um, Pat Bonner's right. And thankfully I mishit it and it went straight because if I'd hit it where I wanted to go with, I'd have been the one that sort of sold the jerseys kind of thing, you know. What were your memories then from the, the night out, the aftermath? Well, that, that was actually it was a weird one because we ended up going off to Arbor for some reason and <clears throat> and it just, it, it was a bit of a letdown. Everybody says, we were in this little quiet place. It was only us that was there. There was no, you know, nightclubs to go to after. That was a normal kind of thing to do. So, like, when we did the League Cup, we'd come back to the Markleth in Aberdeen and then we go into all the players and wives we go into town after it and have a real celebration but at Octorada you're in this country kind of hotel um, nice enough hotel but it was like it was only us and we'd sit and have a drink and maybe some of the older ones would dance and you know we your bed pretty early and then the next day you've got the, the open top but after that you know after the open top bus there was a few of the younger ones had a, the real celebrations after it then a few days I uh, do well. I was actually, I was actually, I was getting married that summer, so I went in a stag do to Benidorm about two days after that. So uh, my summer could have been horrendous if I'd actually connected with the ball properly, because you know the stag do was on, and then getting married, you know, and the, <laughs> the guy that's the guy that's cost Aberdeen the cup, um, it would have been a pretty horrendous summer, even though I was getting married. Well, thank goodness it went in, and thank goodness we got the cup, because that's a Unfortunately, as I say, it's the last year we won the Scottish Cup. Um, yeah, it could it could have been it could have been the league the following season. Great run towards the end, and then going to Ibrox needing a point. Um, just just go over what the disappointment was like on that day. Well, it's, it's not even the day. I remember the change in the atmosphere because we played St Johnston. We beat St Johnston two one at Petardry the week before. Yeah, I was the- and um, Mother and Rangers had so many injuries at that point. And it, for some reason, our game finished earlier and we were in the dressing room. And 
there was a score, I don't know what the score was, but whatever the score was, when we got in the dressing room, we would have to have gone to Ibrox to win. And then when we were in the dressing room, Motherwell scored again, which meant we had to only draw. And They won C now. <laughs> yeah, and I think it was 2 nothing we went in, but that, that third goal basically meant that we had a better goal difference. Um, so the, the problem was is that there was a bit of a celebration after the game in the dressing room. Oh, we only need to go to Ibrox and, and Rangers have got all these, you know, decimated by injuries and, and what have you. Um, and it was just, you go there and I think it was all against us because the club deck was getting done up and we were actually in a port cabin and you could actually, in the port cabin or before the warm-up, Ibrox was packed and this port cabin was actually shaking. And it was, it was almost like a lot of intimidation. Um, and then I think, no disrespect to Michael Watt, but I think it was just a game, too big a game for him. Theo was injured. So, um, you know, it, it, it's always difficult. I know as a coach as well, it's difficult to go somewhere to get a draw. Um, because probably for the first time, we were favourites to go to Ibrox because Rangers had so many injuries um, that day. Um, but... You know, we just fell short on the on the on the last day, and the disappointment was very, very. Even though I was leaving Aberdeen, that was my last game for Aberdeen. Um, it was probably a, a real disappointment um, because you, you do feel when you go into these games, you've got an expectation that you're going to do it, and how you're going to celebrate, and then when it doesn't happen, it's just a huge letdown. Yeah, definitely. As it was um, certainly. Hard to say that a lot of us have had to take in the last 30 years anyway. Um, yeah. So you obviously touched on that you're going to Rangers at the end of the season. Um, as you knew, it was going to be a controversial one. Given that you'd played in the game with the Simpson-Durant um, instant game, yeah. I won't talk about the instant, but knowing all that, knowing about the rivalry, um, how, big, how, how big a decision was it to say, I'm going to take this job with this, this move? Yeah, I think it was... I think... Obviously, financially, it was a, a lot better a, a, a position. And, but it wasn't all about that. I, d- I felt that... I remember that actually met with Neil Cooper, late Neil Cooper, um, but I think he's, his mum's house, met him there at his mum's house in Broomhill. Um, and I asked him about moving because it was coming to the end of the career. And, and during my time at Aberdeen, there was always big clubs interest and maybe a few offers came in. And, you know, I was stuck. Aberdeen wouldn't let me go. But then for some reason, I just felt... You know, when somebody dangles a carrot, um, maybe financially, a bigger club or whatever, you think to yourself, well, um, you know, let, let's have a go at it. And Neil Cooper, even though he, he left Aberdeen, he went to Aston Villa, didn't have the greatest of times when he left. He just says, it's, you know, you have to go and, and move on and, and, and try something different. And, and I could have gone to England, but I felt going to Rangers, and I was very naive um, as to how Aberdeen supporters would take to me. I was only, remember I was only 21 and I was still very young. I was very unsure. I didn't think I would get the, the shit that I got, to be honest. Um, and it wasn't just me, it was my family, it was my younger brother. He had bullied at school and he had a real hard time. And um, But you're young, you're naive, you don't really understand, you don't think about the whole situation. And, um, you know, you end up going to to Rangers. And, and one, one of the reasons was, was that when I was 18, Alec Ferguson tried to take me to Manchester United, but I was too young, I was too naive. Um, but I felt going to Rangers, it's like a step. It's like you're still playing against the same teams, you're going to the same stadiums. So apart from, um, 
you know, okay, you're, you're going to a different city, you're going to stay in a different place, you're playing with different players. Um, and, and on that point, at that time, Rangers were really, you know, signing big players and, you know, the Graham Sooners era kind of thing. Um, and obviously I played in the, the Ian Durant, um, Neil Cooper, uh, sorry, Ian Durant and Neil Simpson game, which was a hard game. You know, the aftermath of it was very, very difficult, uh, just seeing what happened. Um, and then obviously you go into the same dressing room as Ian Durant and, and he's, been, he's always been great with me. Um, but I felt, I felt a little bit uneasy, you know, um, the first time I walked into the dressing room. And a lot of it was to do with the fact that the big name players that were there was Haitley's, you know, Mikhailachenko, Kuznetsov, you know, and, and I'm walking in. I was never the most confident person in my own ability. And, and, and I actually thought to myself, why am I here? You know, but I was, I was made to feel very, very welcome um, at Rangers. You know, and, you know, a few times you go out in Glasgow and you get a bit of, a bit of a hard time. Um, a couple of times I came back to Aberdeen and um, I don't know if you remember the old restaurant in Union Street called You, the Chinese restaurant. Um, I went in there and Aberdeen supporter come in and give me all the abuse. So he got kicked out. Um, even I went to burger vans at B&Q. But I, again, I was naive that I thought I could still continue my normal life when I was back in Aberdeen. Um, and that's just naivety. Even when I signed for Rangers, the first two or three weeks, I used to get death threats. In those days, I used to give you mail. And, and because, I, because I had no confidence in myself, I would open it up and... You know, it was abusive things they would say. Um, so even sometimes like the, the letters of newspapers, I know where you live and all that kind of stuff. And I would look at it and just rip up and put it in the bin. And I thought, you know, why would anybody want to do anything to me? I was so naive. Uh, I think I was maybe five years older. It might have hit me a little bit more. Um, but my brother had a hard time. He, um, he got bullied, he got pushed downstairs at school. Um, my, my dad's car now and again got vandalised. So we... You know, I, I don't think the decision I took, I thought long and hard about the actual decision. Um, although, you know, six months later, my dad did say once it all calmed down to a degree, my dad said, no, it's, it's, it's the best thing you've ever done. And he's, he was a season ticket holder at Aberdeen. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, then the, the, there's, there's, no, there's just no place for that. You know, at the end of the day, you're doing your job as a footballer. Um, you know... <sighs> Yeah, with the part, um, I was sad to see you go. Um, yeah. I didn't think too much about the Aberdeen Rangers rivalry, to be perfect, because I was only 10 at the time when you left. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, the thing was, I didn't, it wasn't as if I wanted to move. Um, it was other opportunities there, but to be honest, um, you know, when I think back, apart from Alex Smith and Jockey Scott, I don't think the actual club wanted to keep me. Um, I think they actually wanted the money. Um, because I think I was saying about the time the Dick Donald stand was built. And Aberdeen were often, you know, and I'm not criticising them, but, you know, I took a lot of abuse based on the fact that I made the decision. But the decision wasn't 100% mine at the same time. But I would never, okay, well, I've said it now, but, um, you know, I could have said at the time that, you know, you know, there was one thing I, I wanted. A, I was the only player that didn't have a club car, a sponsored car, and I played in the first team. Um, and that that was one of the things that might have brought me to stay. And I asked, could I get one? And they said, no, you're not a big enough personality. Really? Yeah. Well, I, I, it was almost. Um, I, I I do think that that higher levels they wanted the money from me. I know Alex Smith wanted me to stay. Um, you know, he got some of the players to time persuade me. 
to stay. Um, you know, it'd have been easier for me to to stay. But you know, I think when you're looking back, for me, when I look at the six years of how it rained, I loved every minute at Aberdeen and, and the same at Rangers. You know, I was very fortunate in that twelve years. You know, the Leeds United things have fizzled out, but the that twelve years were, was incredible. Um, twelve years that you know every kid would dream of having. Yeah. Before we properly move on to Rangers, just want to ask quickly, what's your relationship like with um, Aberdeen fans these days? Um, well, I think I've changed. I've lost hair, um, put a bit of weight on. So, <laughs> and I think everybody's sort of grown up a bit. You know, not grown up, but the people used to give me a bit of nonsense are a lot older now. Um, but there are, you know, you read stuff online and Twitter and stuff, and still get a bit, of, a bit of nonsense now and again. But my brother's a, a real Aberdeen supporter, um, and he, he actually told me that he found it difficult, okay, with the bullying part, but he would, he would go, for that six years, or five and a half years, my brother and my dad would come to every Rangers game. And my brother actually said he feels very, very confused because he's an Aberdeen supporter, but he's watching Rangers, and he wanted Rangers to win. <laughs> um, yeah. And then he said, with well, the Leeds, it was a bit of a relief because he could go back to support <laughs> Do you feel then like your time moving to Rangers made you kind of grow up, grow as a man? Like you said, you were kind of introverted and shy. Did that make you kind of come out yourself a bit, or was it still? Well, not, not really. Yeah. I, one of the things when the, the the fee was decided, it was nine hundred seventy thousand. A lot of people, a lot of players, I know, if there's a big fee, there's a big fee in those days. Um, it gave me confidence that somebody would pay that kind of money, and I know a lot of people find the pressure, but I found that good. But I feel. Um, in the dressing room, even for the six years I was there, I was very, very quiet. You know, I was in the corner beside, you know, Durant, McCoy, Haitley, Ian Ferguson, the real sort of, you know, the bubbly corner. Um, so I was there. Um, I, I don't want to go I loved every minute of it. I was very quiet. I was Again, I was still in awe of a lot of players like I was at Aberdeen, you know, when you're in the dressing room, Willie Miller, McLeish, Charlie Nicholas, these guys. It's the same when you go to um, Rangers, you know, you're, 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 I, I, for six years I was beside Goffey and, and and Ian Ferguson and Gary Stevens and these guys. So I was, you know, I was a bit in awe of because I didn't think I was good enough to be there. And but you know, the journey was great, and I was fortunate enough that the Rangers supporters took to me pretty quickly. Um, you know, I, I never got booed, I never got any criticism in the six years there, and and I know that I, I saw what happened to Dave McPherson at one point. He got he got slaughtered at a few games, and and you could just tell him. His demeanour went down, um, and I was fortunate that didn't happen to me because I think if it did, it would have totally finished him. It helps as well, though your performances were outstanding. But I said to some of my mates that are Rangers fans, you were coming on tonight. They were like, "Oh, great!" One of our heroes growing up as well. So, uh, you certainly they've got fond memories of you. Yeah. <laughs> one of my mates, I'll, um, I'll name him Alan Blacklist. Um, I'll speak to him earlier. He says that. He rates you as highly as Arthur Newman. That's right, yeah. Well, he, Arthur Newman costs more money, so there you go. <laughs> <laughs> no, he was... But that, that was the one thing I felt with the Angels. I know I got the chance because of the foreign rule. I think it was two or three foreigners. So I knew that being Scottish helped me. But then after about three years, that got scrapped. Um, and that was when I had a big concern. Am I good enough to... Uh, even then, because they could have signed anyone. And I was very fortunate that um, I managed to keep my place in the team for the full six years. 
Well, you more than held your own in the Champions League in the, fir- the very first season of the Champions League, 92 93. Rangers unbeaten, and um, I mean, some people see you, you were cheated at the final, um, but you certainly ran it close. Yeah, I, 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 that season as a whole, we, we went 44 games unbeaten, and we were, you know, I, I think the team, the, the, the later team that I played with, um, with Loudon and Gascon, were probably a better team. But I think that Rangers team initially, that first part with John Brown, Stuart McCall, Ian Ferguson, these guys, with so much will and desire. And it was all done through belief of winning games. And not so much about ability. Um, and, you know, the amount of games, even against Marseille, you're 2 nothing down, you come back to each. Um, and, you know, with a, a young team, with David Hagan's a young kid in the team, Stephen Presley, a young kid. Um, but I think, um, I, I think those nights... It really shows you what the Rangers supporters are like when we get behind the team. And even if you're losing, they've got the will and the desire. Um, but that season as a whole, even though we, we narrowly missed out on getting to the Champions League final, I think we, you know, it's just an incredible season, really. Um, you know, you win the treble. Um, you know, and, and I think that was equally better for me because I'd got so much stick from Aberdeen. The fact that Aberdeen were breathing down our necks all the time and, you know, even the... As I said before earlier, that the Aberdeen could have won the league that year based on any other year based on the amount of points. I think it was two points for winning those days. And um, we obviously you win the treble at Parkhead, um, and there was, you know, because I think I would have found it very difficult if Aberdeen had, you know, and, and we, we talk about the amount of stick that Aberdeen supporters gave me, and that was a, a lot of it that spurred me on more than anything, um, because it, it, believe it or not, that gives me confidence because they've. I've obviously there's a threat there because if, if I was if I was hopeless, they wouldn't, they wouldn't care. But because I, I, they must have thought it was half decent, it spurred me on the fact that they were giving me a, a bit of hassle. Definitely. <coughs> Sorry. So you have asked a question there, John. So you mentioned Brian Lairdrop. Um, you formed a really good partnership um, with him. You know, how much did he help improve your game? Well, he was incredible. I mean, I, when he first came, I, I didn't think he was, I thought he was overrated. Um, in fact, I thought he was hopeless, and I realised it was me that was hopeless, that he was like two steps ahead of everybody else. Um, but, you know, he, he made my job really easy. My, my, my game was get the ball from Andy Gordon, give it to Stuart McCall, run, Stuart McCall gave it to Brian Loudrop, and Brian Loudrop beat three or four players and played me in. Um, but he was just an incredible. I was fortunate throughout my career that you know I started off at Aberdeen with you know um, what's his name uh, Peter Weir, then there was Robert Connor played on the left hand side. You know then you had Mikhailachenko, Peter Hustra, Loudrop. You go to Leeds and there's Harry Kuehl, there's Lee Sharp. Um, so I was very fortunate. But I think Loudrop was just. Um, I think him and Gaza were the difference. Latterly, um, you know the, the sort of seven and eight, nine, nine in, in a row based on the fact that everybody else was winners and, you know, blood and guts, that they were the ones that could do that a little bit different to win games. And just that bit of magic when we're up against it, because we didn't have that before. Um, and, and a lot of teams knew how we played, and I think those two players just, uh, I mean, on their day, no one could stop them. You mentioned, you mentioned Gascoigne there. Um, I got a bit of stick because I didn't ask Brian Irvin about Gascoigne's hat-trick against Aberdeen the final day of the eight-in-a-row season. So I'll ask you, um, is that one of the best... Um, just tell us you know, what um, what 
Gascoigne did to really drag it out because he looked as though he was dead in his feet by 10 minutes ago. Yeah, I think um, Al McLaren must have said something to him. But the same thing happened in, in the League Cup final when we played um, Hearts at Parkhead. Mm-hmm. Half time, um, McCoy said, I go to Gaza because Gaza wasn't being Gaza. Second half, Gaza won the cup. You know, and it was like that day, everybody was dead. It was because it, it was so hot. And I think it was Brian Irvin might have scored. Yeah, Brian did score. scored it, and Aberdeen went a goal up. And then, but even, even Gaza's first goal, um, somehow, even he's finished, whatever. But then for that other goal, the, the, when he went the whole length of the pitch, he was dead. Um, and he just kept going and going and going. And, and, and you actually think the length he's gone, the heat of the day, the pressure of the game, and he's, his finish was so calm. Um, and that probably the, one of the best goals that I've seen at Ibrox um, in my time. Plus, a very, very important one. Were you ever a victim to any of Gaza's pranks then? Or? No, I was very fortunate. I was um, Gaza's, um, if we play like Hibs or Aberdeen or you know, Dundee, you know, a, a, a couple of hour bus journey. A lot of times on the way back, I would always sit on my own. A lot of times on the way back, he'd sit next to me and pour his heart out. And, um, you know, I wasn't exactly an agony aunt, but he's, he really tell me a lot of things that go on in his life and how he gets followed and how, you know, people are, they're just desperate to write stories on him. And, and he, you know, as much as he was a fantastic player and, you know, there's a lot of pressure on him. His life outside football must have been horrendous. Um, but, you know, I, I always got on well enough for him. You know, it's just sad, you know, when you see the, the situation he's in now. Yeah, definitely. Who, who are your, uh, so who are your kind of guys that you kind of looked up to there? Art Rangers? Obviously, Loudrup. Yeah, Loudrup. I think uh, for me, um, when I first went, Gary Stevens was great because... You know, I, I had to sort of emulate him a little bit and being the right back. And, you know, and, and you think he's played against Maradona, he's played against the, the best players in the world. And I'm on the opposite side to pitch to him. And, and, and he helped me a lot because there was a lot of instruction for me what I had to do as a left back for Rangers. I just I spent a lot of time talking with Gary Stevens and, and he would just, um, I, I would basically do what he did. And then um, Goffey as well. You know, I sat next to Goffey and I'm um, still in contact with Goffey today. He's just, uh, he, he was quiet. He didn't say too much, but when he said something, it meant a lot. And he, he was good because he would know, he, as I say, he didn't say a lot, but he would know if a player had some issues. He would somehow mentally know and he'd go and talk to them and, you know, try and help each other. Uh, but he was he was just a, a, a great captain uh, for the team. And it's a particular moment at uh, Rangers, you would say, was the most memorable? Um, I think like the, the game we've already spoken about was the um, when we won the treble at Parkhead. You know, obviously I was playing against my old team, and Wally was the, the guy that used to give me all the the he used to shout at me all the time when I was a young kid in the, in the first team. He blamed me, he blamed me for all these mistakes, um, and obviously he's a legend there in Aberdeen. Would supporters would sort of get on my back a little bit. You know, so you're going there, you go for the treble against your old team, and you're actually playing it at Parkhead in the final because Hamden's getting done up and um, it's in the home dressing room as well. So it's almost a, a perfect scenario, really. The game wasn't great, but the actual situation was great. And, and actually to win a treble was probably the, the real highlight of my time at, at Rangers. Obviously, in terms of your time at Rangers, and there was a lot of talk at Scotland 
obviously you only got a kind of few caps. Was that a frustration in terms of not playing more for Scotland? Because um, from an outsider's no, point of view, I think most people thought you you should have been the left back. No, I don't. I don't think it. It, it was. It could have been frustrating at times, but I think because I was doing so well at Rangers, and I just wanted to make sure I stayed in the team at Rangers. Um, the Scotland thing didn't bother me too much, um, as much as maybe it, it would have done if I, if, if I was in and out of the team at Rangers or maybe at a different club. But I was just having such a great time at Rangers. The frustrating part for me was when I used to go on trips and, and I knew that if there was 20 players or 22 players picked and all the players came, I would be in the stand. But if I was players pulled out and I was 18, I'd be on the bench. And, you know, obviously I only played three times. So, but the hard part for me was, you know, meeting up with the team on the Sunday. You know, you travel or do whatever and you don't really train. If you're not playing, you, you do you virtually no training. And then you arrive back you know, early hours Thursday, you train Thursday, Friday, and then you play. And I always felt sluggish when I came back. And, and my main focus was was, was Rangers. Um, and, and it just came to a point where I remember we, were, we played um, we played at Pataudry, we played Switzerland, and I think Tom Boyd was suspended. And there must have been the plague or something at the point because I, I got to, to play. Um, and I played well that day. And then the next game after that, we had, um, I think we played Malta away. And I think Rob McKinnon played left back that day. Um, yeah, so Rob McKinnon, another one played. And then the next game after that, we were then, I think it was Greece, I think it was Moscow. And I was, I think it was a sub again. And, and I, no, I, I was in the stand, I wasn't even in 18. So I just said to Craig Brown, look, you know, I've got no, I've got, I've got no issues with Craig Brown, and you know, because let's face it, Craig Brown and Andy Roxburgh are the most successful managers of recent times of the Scottish national team. Yeah. So you know, you, you can't fault what they've done. Um, I was just looking after myself um, and my own career. That I said to him, look, you know, obviously I want to play for Scotland, but there's obviously there's not much chance it's going to happen. And you know, if I've got a chance of playing, pick me. If you don't, don't. You know, um, and then eventually. Um, it, it all sort of fizzled out and um, I think Walter Smith came to me one day and Craig Brown says look he's asked do you want to play do you want to go back in the squad again I, and I said no um, and then again you know when you're in your mid-20s you're still relatively young maybe a little bit naive but I just felt that and, and, and I wouldn't replace anything that I've achieved in my career for an extra Scotland Cup yeah that, that's a shame, but um, as you say, it was compensated with a, a good club career. Um, the Old Firm Derby is obviously, um, you know, you had a lot of success in that. Although you did score in an Old Firm Derby, but it was chopped yeah. off. But Jeremy Nee didn't realise that at the time. Yeah, yeah that's right. No, that was uh, um, that that a lot of my four three draw. <laughs> yeah, but that was it. That was the, That was a lot of the times that happened a few times in my career because I was quick. I was at times I was clearly onside and somehow it was called offside, but to this day it resulted in a goal. Um, and you know, because I never scored many goals, you, your celebrations are not the best anyway. And um, I remember walking at the halfway and I celebrated and I turned around and they're taking a free kick. And that's the first time I realised, well, obviously it's not a goal. Um, but it's, you know, you quickly forget about it. But it's, that's, it's funny because a lot of people. You know, when people talk about me, they don't say, oh, he, he was a great player, or 
he had a great career, whatever. What they'll say is, he got sent off after six minutes, he scored a goal, it was offside, and he swears a lot on TV. <laughs> <laughs> what was your favourite old firm game? Um, I remember one that we, um, it was actually the, it was at Parkhead when Andy Godham saved Van Hoydonk's penalty kick and Van Vossen missed a sitter and I think Gaza missed a penalty kick. Mm-hmm. I think that happened and <clears throat> how on earth, it was just typical of the, the games we played against Celtic because a lot of the times you would actually think to yourself, how on earth did we win that game? Because we're under so much pressure for most of the games, you know, and then you know, maybe a ball will hit Alan McCoy in the back of the head and go in or something. Um, and we always got outplayed, but we just had that desire. And then again, like I said, you had latterly you had the loud ups in Gaza, so it could maybe be a little bit different. But that game, because it's a game we should never have won. Um, and then, you know, with a couple of chances, Gaza missed a penalty kick. Van, uh, Van Vossen, sorry, misses that horrendous miss. And then I got a goal up, and uh, Van Hoydon takes a penalty kick, and then they still couldn't score. Uh, but that was a fantastic save. So, uh, no, I think that was uh, the most memorable one. The one thing I remember about old thumb games was, you're, like, when you play for Rangers, the first 20 minutes, you can't hear anything. You can't hear your teammates. But an old thumb game, particularly at Parkhead, you can't hear your teammates. So you can't hear anybody giving instructions. Um, and you would, you know, you're almost on your own. You've got to make your own decisions. You've got to be very aware of, of what's around you. Um, and I think that was it. Was great games to play in, to be honest. Was there no firm game that you played in that you thought you weren't going to be in playing the game but having a few drinks? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. That's, um, I actually <clears throat> pulled my hamstring the week before and I missed the game against Bruges in the Champions League. And then on the Saturday, on the Sunday, I think the game was Sunday, so I hadn't trained all week. I was just getting treatment. So the team go away at the hotel. Um, I go back home to the missus and um, invite a couple of friends over. And I had a snooker table in the house at that point, so we're playing snooker with a mate and on a few drinks. And I got to about three or four in the morning and I'm hammer drunk. Um, but I've got to go for treatment. This is the day of the game. Um, it was at Parkhead. So I get I get to the, the ground. I've got the dog in the car. I've got the I'm sponsored by High Tech in those days. And I had a shell suit, a horrendous shell suit. On. <laughs> um, <laughs> We all had a head to see us. So then I um, I go in and Bill Collins official gives me some treatment on my hamstring. How does it feel? Because ah, oh, it's not bad. That's okay. Yeah, go, so I go out in the pitch at Ibrox, go for a jog. Still no, no, it's not thinking because I'm, I'm injured and I'm hungover. I was probably still drunk as well. And then um, I do that, and he says, "Can you pick it up half pace, three quarter pace?" So I go flat out. So he says, "Okay, go in and get showered." So I'm in having a shower. Archie comes in and he says, Bill says you're fit. I goes, what? Oh, and and I, I never like to say no. Oh, well, how's it feel? I said, oh, it feels okay. Right, go upstairs and see the gaffer. So I've got the marble staircase <laughs> and I've got this shell suit on. And then obviously the players have got their club suits. And um, he says, Archie says you're fit. And I goes, well, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, can you play? I goes, ah, I can play, but I've got a problem. He says, what's your problem? He says, I don't have my club suit. I've got this dodgy shell suit. And I says, and my dog's in the car. And he says, uh, right. So he gets the security guard. He gets the, the dog driven home. And I go on the bus with a team. And I've got the shell suit <laughs> into the game. And, and, and I managed, it's weird because I managed to. I got through the game okay. And I never had any issues in my hamstring after that. 
So the secret is have a few drinks before that'll sort out your hamstring. <laughs> That's it. But I think it was a hamstring. Maybe it was alcohol that held it together. <laughs> yeah. So um, you obviously clinch uh, nine in a row. Um, is that the best part you've ever had? Well, no. It, it's sad um, because <clears throat> it was at Tannadice and my wife was 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 at the game. My family. So I went in the car with her back to my home in Newton Mearns and um, I never did the, the, the night out, uh, which is something I, I really regret. Not much things I regret in my career, but I really regret the fact that I didn't do it. Oh, I knew it was my last game because two days later, or two or three days, I'm going to Leeds to sign for, almost to sign for George Graham. Um, so I'd obviously thought to myself, well, that's me, I'm finished, I'm, I'm gone. Um, but I, I just felt I was a bit stupid not to go to the, the night out. Um, I really, because I've heard so many stories about that. Even the, the game afterwards when they went to Tynecastle and they got a helicopter back to um, Ibrox, you know, missed all that. And, you know, it is something that the memories, memories are great and that's a memory that I wish I, I had. Did you see the, the Leeds interest? Did that come before the end of the season then? Did you have an idea that you're maybe moving on down south? And not yeah, well, yeah, around about the January time because the the Bosman rule and was a, you can sign after January, I think it was January first or sometime in January. But there was a window there, and, and basically there was a, a fee agreed that was going to go into Milan. And um, but Joe, um, Roy Hodgson got sacked. I was going to go, and then they lost a game, and he was told that no more players until you win the next game. We lost the next game, so that was it. And then there was a lot of interest. There was Atletico Madrid, Valencia. And what's the other one? Um, a couple of Italian clubs. So, um, but but when I was, I actually went for a weekend to to talk to some clubs in in um, in Italy. But George Graham was so persistent to get me that I eventually went to to Leeds United. I told you that it didn't quite um, work out in terms of the fact that you got an injury and didn't get your place back. No, it was, I was injured, I didn't realise, but when I got my scan going to um, Leeds, obviously everything was agreed. I'd met George Graham and I obviously got to get scans in your joints and what have you. And it turned out that I'd been playing with, uh, with no ACL, no cruciate ligament for five years and I didn't even know. Um, and then the deal almost didn't happen, but the fact George Graham was going to win holiday that, that night, he wanted it all done and pushed through. Um, because in theory, the Leeds probably shouldn't have signed me based on the fact that I've no ACL, one of the major ligaments in your in your leg. Um, but as soon as I knew that, I developed a limp. I started to limp when I was walking. Um, even though I'd played for five years, no issue. And then I got I got through the first, I think it was 28, 29 games or something I played. And then I, um, I remember I was at Fulbert Street against Leicester. I got for a head on it. I came down and the knee just goes. And that was basically the beginning of the end, really. So... It was disappointing, but um, it, it was a good experience being down there. But I do feel that I maybe should have stayed at Rangers. Um, you know, you know, you always think grass has been on the other side, and, and it certainly wasn't um, at Leeds. Don't get me wrong, I enjoyed it, and you know, that, we ended up staying there for five years in Leeds because we loved it. We still go and visit um, the place, um, but I just think leaving Rangers um, is it's a hard thing to do. Should we move on to the quick fire stuff or 
Anything else, John, you can think of you want to cover? Um, well, I'll, I'll just um, cover off um, um, part of your managerial career. We've also covered the main part of the Kashmir stuff, the big success, but um, yeah. you had a couple of jobs in Scotland with um, Elgin and Montrose, so you had ended your playing career with. How difficult um, was it with, with those particular teams? It was, it was tough. Um, I, I first went back, I, I started to play... Uh, when I was living in Leeds, I used to play like veteran games with Peter Lorimer and Alan Clark and all these guys, and and they're about 20 years older than me. And, and I'd say I must have been looking good. And for some strange reason, I thought to myself I could play again. And I went to Thailand and with Leeds coaching, and we played some charity games there as well. And then John Sherman Montrose asked a friend that he'd heard I was playing and asked him to go back as a player coach. So I go back and play. And one of the funniest things was the first game I played for. Um, and Toulouse league game was against Queen's Park at Lynx Park and um, the first half I was just playing as a left back all the Queen's Park supporters were at my side just for a mat and they slaughtered me the whole I was only about 50 of them slaughtered me the whole first half so I go in at half time I'm thinking at least I'll have to pop them in the second half but they actually walked around to the other side and slaughtered me the second (laughs) half but I found it. I think you realise that players, no disrespect to the players, because we had a good team, and it a good team with Grant Johnson, Ray McKinnon, um, John McQuillan, Frank Conway, um, Colin McDonald, uh, you know, a very, very good team and experienced team. But you realise how lucky you've been playing with the players that you've played with. Um, and then I play, I think it was my ninth game, I played against Morton at Lynx Park, and I snapped my Achilles tendon. Um, and that was probably a real horrendous injury. And I knew that was it finished. And then I was fortunate enough that um, Dennis Miller, who was the uh, old vice chairman at Aberdeen, took me to Elgin as a manager. Two or th- three, I think it was about three years. You know, it's very difficult there because, you know, because it's part-time. You, you show up um, for your first training night and you've got seven players. Because where Elgin's situated, you've got the guys from Aberdeen going, maybe the Inverness guys coming. With a guy, Davy Ross, that lived in Brora, or an island on the, on the west coast. Um, he could only come certain nights. The guys from Glasgow couldn't train, so you could never get the team together. So that was that was very difficult. Plus, you're you're playing, you're, you're coaching players that have got other jobs, and some of them are very dedicated. Some of them are just doing it for a little bit of pocket money. So I found that bit very very difficult. And then I went back to Montrose, and you know we started off well there, and. There was a lot of interference um, with, you know, selecting players, and I wasn't getting paid at the time for from them, so I just thought, you know, enough's enough. And America, um, Phoenix, enjoy your time out there. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Um, great place to live. We were there for ten years. Um, I know I started off Ali Maxwell. Um, he was one of the ones that sort of got me over there. Um, started off just the thing in America is that. You know, they want that the pound of flesh. You know, if they pay you, you're doing everything. So I went there and I was coaching two, three teams, which was good. You know, you're you're traveling about, you're going to Florida, you're going to Vegas, you're going to LA and New York to play tournaments. It's you know, it's it's it's, it's a good way to live. Plus you're living in a, a real place that's sunshine all year. And then, you know, I ended up being the director of coaching and coached three teams, then I was the executive director, director of coaching, coaching three teams, doing the payroll, doing everything. You know, and, and I was dealing with three and a half thousand kids in that program. Um, so that's seven thousand angry parents you've got to deal with. 
he was nine, I think it was 90, 70 or 80 staff, I was doing board meetings, and eventually you're, you drown a little bit because you're just doing too much. Um, but that's the way it is in America, and then obviously I, I took the, the, the jump to, to India. Yeah, that's a bit of a culture difference going from America to um, India via Aberdeen. Yeah, it was tough. Um, you know, I, I obviously had never been to India before, so you don't know what to expect. And, you know, my only comparison is watching a, an idiot abroad. Um, and <laughs> you think that, you think when you watch that stuff, well, it's a bit far-fetched, but India is just a, a, a crazy place. And um, don't get me wrong, it's, it's, there's been hard times, but it's, I'm glad that I've done it. And, you know, I think it's definitely made me a, a better person um, off the pitch as well. As much as you enjoy being home with your family, are you missing um, the banter with your lads out in India? Yeah, um, it's good to be back. I'm looking forward to going back whenever the time is. I think it, the season might start in November that we're talking about. You know, we're trying to sign players just now. But you miss the, the day-to-day stuff. And, um, but at the same time, you, when you're there, you miss being at home. So at some point, I'll have to, you know, okay, I'll go again this season, but I'll have to make a decision that, you know, by the time I come back, I'll be 52, so I'm not getting any younger. You know, maybe it's time just to sort of have a normal life at home and instead of dodging bullets all the time. <laughs> and then, obviously, in terms of thoughts about returning to the UK, is a particular project that you'd particular projects that interest you? Because obviously, you went over there and it was almost like a new startup in yeah. effect, which was attractive to you. Is there something similar that you'd like to do here or? Um, I think it's it's very difficult to to get a, a job back home. You know, there's you know, so many coaches out of work. There's players retiring all the time. I'd, I'd love to have another crack in Scotland or England, but I do feel that in the time when I was elderly in the I was probably too young. Um, you know, I've gone from a real high level to the part time level. I think that difficult to transition. Plus, I wasn't very experienced as far as coaching goes. Um, but I think with all the issues that I've had to deal with in India, you know, I could certainly you know, hold my own in, in, in Scotland, you know, and but I've never I've never applied for jobs or anything like that. So it's just a case of, you know, if, if someone was to come up, you know, definitely be be interested. But at the same time it'd be very, very difficult to to leave something that we've basically built from nothing. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Well, let's move on to quick fire then. Okay. <laughs> Who was your toughest opponent throughout your career? Um, Evo Denbeman. Yeah, I read that earlier actually in an article. Yeah, um, <laughs> he was. I mean, I, I've played against Beckhams and Giggs and Overmars and Decanios and all these guys and Joe Millers and what have you. But I think for him, he was. For so I don't know. I must have played against him so many times. He started off at Montrose. I remember we played at when I was at Aberdeen. He played in Montrose. Um, he actually came from Holland. To work in oil, and he came and played part time at, at Montrose, and he destroyed me in that game. Priestley destroyed me, and then I think the first game of the season, or a couple of games in, he actually transferred to Dunfermline. He played again. He destroyed me again, and then I remember when I went to Rangers, suddenly he was at Dundee, and he went fine with Falkirk as well. But every time he he moved to another club, that Saturday he played against me, and and he. I think I don't think he knew what he was doing, and I had absolutely no idea what he was doing. <laughs> I couldn't even get the grips of every game he, he ripped me apart. That's crazy when you think all the players you played against as well. But. Yeah, 
but there's no videos and you can you can watch videos of all the other players but with Evo you couldn't watch any videos yeah <laughs> yeah Grant Campbell asks um, what's your favourite curry um, butter chicken butter chicken yeah that's uh, the one there but, but to be honest every meal you have there's some type of curry so you get used to it but I think this time because the lockdown was more repetitive and because you still haven't had a curry since I've been home. <laughs> uh, favourite beer? Um, I would say Coors Light. Coors Light. I lived in America. Oh, great. Yeah. Um, what's, what's, been the, um, what's been the best dressing room wind up or prank that you've either been involved in or witnessed? Um, let me think. Um, there's been a lot. I, I, I think one of the, the ones I, I used to love was um, at Rangers. We had this uh, old kit man, Doddy. He's, he's actually passed away now. Um, but he would come in every morning and he'd give you a cup of tea. He'd know if you wanted one sugar, no sugar, whatever. And Ian Durant, without fail, Doddy would have a cup. And he would say to Doddy, he says, what time is it? And he'd go like that, tip it over himself every time. <laughs> every time. <laughs> it was incredible. Um, but no, I just, uh, the, the banter's just good. I remember um, my first, when you go to Rangers, um, you go to pre-season and you've got to do an initiation. And um, so we go, the last night of pre I've been in Italy for 10 days, two weeks or whatever. So you go to this, you go into town at night, but as the team bus takes you in, and um, <clears throat> all the new players have got to do an initiation. So that is, you've got to go to the front of the bus and the microphone and sing a song. And obviously being a shy kind of guy, I had no idea what I was going to be doing. So um, of all the people, I ask a bit of advice off Mo Johnson. Mo, I says, he says to me, what are you going to sing? I said, I don't know. Uh, I'm really sorry, I don't know. He says, you know what the boys would like? See if you sang the Northern Lights of Aberdeen. He's just trying to get some of the flat taken off him. I got past over the first line and I got dragged up the back of the bus and they beat the shit out of me. <laughs> Uh, my, my friend Dean, he's a Rangers fan and he's asked, where were you nine months before Andy Robertson was born? Because he says that he reminds him, uh, he reminds the way you play is what he was like as well. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think I think Rangers, though, I was fortunate. I'm Peter Weir got me to go forward, but I think Rangers, particularly uh, the way we were at the time, we used to attack more than we defended, so I was encouraged to get forward all the time. And But I think Andy Robertson, really, I think he can... His recovery runs are better than mine. He, he can he goes forward at the, the same pace as he runs back. I, I struggled a little bit to get back, but he, he is, he's a, a fantastic player. Did you enjoy playing in the modern game the way it is just now? Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah, I, I think um, you know it's when you when you look at the whole thing now, even, even the Scottish game. I think it's it, it's good the way it is. You know, a lot of people say that the level and all that kind of stuff. But I think it's good. You know, it's, you look in, in, in the recent times. You know, Hibs and now Hearts again. You know, Dundee United. You know, Dundee. Um, all down in the Rangers as well, obviously, all down in, in the Championship, which is something that you'd never, 10 years ago, you'd never expect to see that. Um, and I know they're talking about where, I don't know how it's going to go, and I'm not really up to date with it, but the, you know, the reconstruction might not be a bad thing, but, you know, I, I, I think it's, 
it probably needs it because there's a, there's the levels a lot better now. There's bigger clubs in in the lower leagues that should still be up there financially to, to help them as well. Yeah, it's it's difficult enough in Scotland to keep up with the reconstruction stuff. Never mind being in India trying to keep up with it, but yeah, we're no yeah. further forward in terms of what's happening there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'll round off mine by asking. Um, I, can't if I gave you one or not. I'm just going to ask the question anyway. Name the best eleven from your life, um, from your playing career. Um, I think Andy Gorham, um, for sure. Um, then it's a tough call between um, uh, Gary Stevens and uh, Stuart McKinney. Um, I think probably Gary Stephen edges it, and I think Alan McLeish for sure. Richard Goff, left back was maybe Ian Hart. He actually took my place, and you know yeah. he's a, a fantastic player. Um, I think um, obviously Loudwood would be in there. Ian Ferguson. I, I actually think Ian Ferguson's a very underrated player um, in the time, and I think Jim Bett, fortunate enough to play with him. Um, right hand side, um, I'd probably go with. Billy Stark was somebody that I rated quite highly. Um, I think Billy Stark was a guy that you never, you never knew how good he was in, in, until he wasn't on the pitch. You know, you think, oh, you don't notice him in a game, but when he's not on the pitch. But I think striker-wise, um, it might surprise people, but I think um, Mark Hately and Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank. Yeah, I like Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank as a player. Brilliant. Yeah, and I think Hately now, I think for me, you know, obviously at a bit of time, you actually look back and you look at YouTube videos and I don't think I appreciated what a good player he was until you, you look at videos, his pace, his left foot, his size, his strength um, and, and how much he helped me as a player when, you know, you've got nothing on, you can just lump a ball forward and you knew that he'd, he'd got a head on it or you put a, a dodgy cross in, he'd make a bad cross, a good one. Um, but no, as I said, we're very, very fortunate to play with some fantastic players. And who's managing that team? Walter Smith. Yeah, I think he, for me, he was, I didn't have a lot of Alec Ferguson, um, but I do think Walter Smith got the best out of me um, in my career. And I think it was just down to his, his man management. He, he gave me a bollocking once in six years, which is a, it's not bad. But the one thing he said to me when I signed was, you look after me and I'll look after you. And, and that stuck with me throughout my career. And, um, and then I think it, you know, you look at when you, you read things about old Rangers players, they all still call Walter the gaffer. Do you still keep in touch with um, some of your ex teammates like, on reunion nights and whatever? Well, we do have a few reunion nights, of, uh, more so um, Rangers ones. Um, I don't, I'm not really sad. Don't get invited to Aberdeen ones. Um, I did a, a golf event. I did a golf event. Um, recently, well, about a year ago, when I was back at a former Dons one, so that was good, so I think you know, might get invited to some of them. Um, but the Rangers ones, there's obviously a, you know, be quite a few uh, reunions. Um, keep in touch with like, Paul Mason, um, you know, Richard Goff now and again as well. So, but I think everybody's sort of, they've got on with their own life. You know, when I look at some of the players i played with, you know, Gary Stevens is living in Australia now, um, people just move around. I know Peter Houstras. I don't even know where he is. He's in Indonesia, Azerbaijan. They've been all over the place. So, but but when there's reunions, you know, it's it's good to catch up with 
with everybody. And then, uh, lastly, what was your favourite pie? Favourite pie? Um, um, what was your scotch pie? Scotch pie. <laughs> I don't. I couldn't. Uh, yeah. No. The. I think when you've been away, I, I never used to like pie, scotch pies when I was away. Well, when I was a kid and everything. But once you, once you live in America or you live in India and what have you. You know, it's the things that, like scotch pies, you know, come back home and that's probably the first thing that I have. That and yeah. a, that and a white pudding supper. A white pudding supper. Mm. Do, yes. do you get care packages sent out to India? Eh? Do you get care packages or stuff sent out that you miss? Oh, I stuff, um, we're into these iron blue uh, pastels. Right. Uh, of have them and my wife will take wine gums and, but this time I'm going to take Bristol gravy over this time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> But you know, you, you do, you miss the food. Um, and when you come home for the first week or two, you just pig yourself out on white pudding suppers, even Chinese and um, crisp, like prawn cocktail crisps and all that kind of stuff. You just get stuck into a dairy milk chocolate. And then and you do it until you get sick of it. Yeah. Do you have any other questions, John, at all? Um. I don't think so. I just want to thank um, David for coming on. Um, I mean, especially the fact that we're two Aberdeen fans as well, because I know the sort of stick that you've had. No, so thank you very much for giving us your time. It's nah, no problem. No appreciated. Yeah, no, no, I still live in Aberdeen, so <laughs> there you go. Yeah. No, I've enjoyed it. It's been great. Perfect. Thanks very much, David. Pleasure. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you. Okay. 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 okay.